You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Michael. Andre, it's so nice to be behind the regular microphone. Yeah, it's about time you fix things. Um, although, to oh. be fair, I know we usually do the shout-out at the end. This is where patreon.com slash wine really comes into effect. If, if we had more financial support, we probably could have fixed this a little sooner. Yes, or gotten better on-the-road equipment. <laughs> I mean, we got pretty good on the road equipment these days. I know the, the mobile studio I haul around in my backpack is pretty, pretty solid. I was, I was actually just reflecting on some old episodes where, um, remember when we did the, uh, the interview at, um, the newly renovated Broadview Hotel with the round table of winemakers from the Okanagan that in we, somebody's, li- in somebody's room. And we literally just threw my iPhone, it must have been like an iPhone 8 in the middle of the room. And I mean, it was adequate, but at least now, like we've got a full mixing console. We can do four individual microphones. Like we can, I mean, when we do stuff in your backyard, the stuff we did on my patio during COVID still sounded pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was some pretty good, uh, that was some pretty good stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I think we should try out some of the, uh, the equipment I, I, I bought before going to Italy last time where we didn't, uh, actually do any, um, um, uh, podcasting from Italy last time I was there. Uh, but I, I remember running over to, uh, computers Canada or whatever the hell they call themselves and, uh, grabbing a little device so that I could plug a microphone into a USB port. Uh, and you said, yeah, try that. And, uh, we never did do anything with it, which was unfortunate. Uh, but I mean, you're about to do some, some travel. I mean, I mean, this is, this is one thing I'm sure people who have been listening to the podcast have noticed that the content creation on our side has been a little frantic. So I do apologize if anyone feels like we've been, we've been lacking. We are working really hard to line up some great content, but it's been a weird year with stuff reopening. So there's been a lot of opportunity to travel. So you're off to Italy next week. And oh, I guess at, at the time we're recording this, we're recording this on May 19th. So you'll be in Italy already when this is released. And I'm yeah, going was, to... It, was, yeah, I'll and be I, there. And I'm going to Italy the week, two weeks after that. So I think there'll be one week where we're both on the continent. With yep. what's happening in Niagara, we had a really slow start to spring. And I don't think... Apart from the temperature outside, it's been terribly remarkable or terrible. It's not like we got hit with torrential rains or anything, so it's kind of wait and see what's going on. So there's not really a whole lot to talk about in Niagara right now. You no, there are, really isn't. You know, I, I remember, you know, when I was in Loire looking at the vines, and I'm like, wow, they are so far ahead of us. Well, even taking a look at a few photos of what happened this past weekend on 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 Instagram of how the vines just exploded with that little burst of heat, and I think we're going to be getting some more this weekend. So, I don't know. We definitely need some heat for the vineyards in Niagara to to get caught up. But I mean, if things keep going the way they're going, it's going to be another good year for Chardonnay, Riesling, Gamay, and Pinot Noir, and Rosé. And rosé. Okay, speaking of which, the other thing too is like you're up to your eyeballs in uh, in rosé, working hard at your rosé report. But I, I do one thing I've noticed with your Instagram is you seem a lot happier with um, the batch of wines you've got this year overall versus last year. Yeah, you know what? There's there's uh, I, I, I think I, I 
I mentioned earlier that I've gone with a good, better, best approach uh, as far as the rosés instead of giving them scores. Uh, I've always said that, you know, rosé is, is very rarely going to get those really high marks. Uh, but, you know, when you get uh, like a good, good plus, you know, better, better plus or a best. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've yet to have a best, but I've had some pretty, like I've had some betters and I've had some better plus. And this year uh, I'm even taking uh, price into consideration. And uh, that's that's bumping up some uh, some scores uh, as well. So uh, there's there's some there's some really good uh, rosés on the horizon this year. Yeah, and I mean, even when you when you talked about, like, I think doing the good, better, best approach is extremely fair because I mean, last year the rosé guide was a challenge because it was an awful lot of three star three plus stars which is you know it's a it's a tough thing to a, a tough thing to really like figure out who stands out from the from the crowd but i think and, and sorry i've got two thoughts here let me just sort them out one at a time here the first off was uh jordan who's one of the, the regular listeners to this podcast uh and she is rescuing trapped wine on instagram had a conversation with me about wh- why i think she took a little bit of issue with the fact that you or, or i shouldn't say take issue she wanted some follow-up questions about why rose wouldn't get that super high score and i i, I frankly had a hard time really I- explaining it because i i do agree with you it's just like well, I can I can explain it. I I, I let, let let me just say what what I'm about to say in, in one sentence. You can tell me if you agree or disagree, and then explain what you say. But but it's just like I still come back to it. The way I feel about really great rosé, even as a rosé maker in Niagara, is kind of similar to Baco Noir. You know, you'll get really good Baco Noir. You and I will get really good Baco Noir that we're happy to review and we're happy to give a decent score to. But the best Baco Noir. And let's replace the word Bacconar with, with rosé. The best rosé, regardless of variety, varietal that, that it's made with, is never going to be as good as the best Chardonnay or the best Pinot Noir or the best Cabernet Franc from Ontario. And I'm ready right. to be proven wrong. No. And the whole thing is it is unlike some people who have you know totally bastardized the 100-point the, the scale or their own whatever their scale is um, – and, and it's we're not getting into that that conversation of, of points again, um, but it's about wine in general. It's not about hey, this is the best fifteen dollar wine I've ever had, and that it should get a hundred points because it is the best uh, fifteen dollar wine I ever had. No, it's it's up against other wine. And and as I've I've talked to to many uh, people who review wine and talk about wine, um, you know, eighty eight eighty nine used to be a really good score. Yeah. I and and, and I mean and, the, the, the the hundred point scale system is, is so broken because I I do agree and it's something that that I've learned like even in terms of how ADX produces wine. Like we have access to, even as a tiny producer to really great equipment and resources with, um, with Brock and the college down here in terms of chemistry analysis. So there's definitely a lot of tools in place that has increased the baseline quality of wine, like across the board than even what it was 10, 15 years ago when I started drinking Ontario wine, when I moved here. But at the same time, it's almost, it's almost like, so, I understand wines that maybe at one point would have been 88. You might see a few points starting to creep up, but it's just like the scores have gotten so astronomical. Like at, at what point do we formally do a recalibration of the scale to be like, okay, wines that were 19 or that were 88 points in 2001 or 1995, you know, are now 
using that scale from from those years ago 92 93 point wines but like let's just accept the fact that everyone's been able to raise their level of quality and it's time to recalibrate that scale so those wines are still 88 89 points does that make sense well but kind of okay i just want to make sure i'm not talking nonsense i I, I, i'm the opinion that everybody's starting at 90 these days like Oh, I no, mean, no, I mean, I'm talking. We're, no we're talking about the '80s anymore. Yeah, we're we're talking about we're talking about writers. A lot of 80s. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about writers for sure. Like that, everything starts at '90. But it's just it's just what I'm saying is like, at what point, like, how how do we do that recalibration where wines that are now 90 points and are deservedly 90 points if you're using the scale and the technology that was available. <laughs> okay, this is where I'm, I'm having a hard time just, just verbalize what I'm saying, but it's just like winemaking has gotten better. Wines should be better. Therefore, the scores should be a little bit lower. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess I, I get your point. The, the scores should be lower because the best of the best should rise to the top. Exactly. There we go. There we go. There we go. And, and, and you know, um, and, I, and I get it, but I mean, what I don't get is is, you know, I'm seeing more 99s these days than I've ever seen in my entire life, and and even when I see a 99, and I think to myself, what was the one? What was the one thing it missed? 100. You know, that and that should be the that should be the part of the review that that makes you go, oh, like the reviewer should say, I wanted chocolate, no chocolate, 99. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree with that as well too. I, I and I mean, it's also like the whole idea that a wine can be can be perfect, but I guess. I don't know if you get to that point. Why bother with the hundred point scale altogether? But anyways, that's that's a bit of a, a bit of a tangent. I I hope that maybe that offers some insight about what you were saying about uh, rosé and, and scoring. Which, like frankly, I agree with you. And don't get me wrong. Every year I make when pigs fly. I'm hoping that you're going to score it four and a half stars or five stars down the road. But I mean, it's 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 going to be a really tough benchmark to hit. Like good drinking rosé is is made with the intention of being guzzled. You know, guzzled and guzzled now. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm, yep. uh, I've I've had a few that are uh, aged, and uh, I think we talked about it when we we talked about Gerard Bertrand. I don't know of anybody who is, um, you know, looking to age their rosé twenty years, um, and that's that was one of the wines that they had made. They were going, oh, this is a a rosé to age, and uh, I, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, um, rosé should be cracked. Uh, thrown into the glass and you know within three sips you know you know whether you're you're liking it not liking it um, very rarely uh, do I uh, you know hold a wine till the next day to see if it's gonna smooth and smooth out that's just not something you get with with rose um, it should make you want to just uh, uh, drink a heck of a lot of it and uh, one of the biggest surprises um, that I had uh, this time uh, and I and I mocked it when I saw the bottle it was from uh, from Lakeview cellars uh, it was uh, it's a it's one of those low-cal wines eight uh, percent alcohol I thought ah it's gonna be too sweet it's gonna be terrible um, and it was twelve ninety five, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is going to be a piece of garbage." Andre, uh, you could drink the crap out of it, and the best part at eight percent, it's a two bottler before you you know really start to feel woozy. Interesting. It was it was really good. It was well balanced. The, the acidity was great. It was not sweet, as I was thinking. Oh, this is going to be sweet based on the uh, the alcohol, but they balanced the heck out of it, and it was really good. 
I'm I'm and I'm actually I'm actually like I said with, just pe- with people. I, I try to invite people over to taste rosés, and one of them said, and I quote, and I'm not just being crass here. They said I could drink the shit out of this one. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it's something like we, we usually do the shout outs at the end, but at the grape guy on Instagram, you've been posting your your rosé shenanigans as you've been going through them, and uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely follow Michael if you're not already to take a look at what he's drinking because he's been uh, very active at kind of live live sharing what he's been doing. I, I've been doing a lot less drinking and sipping these days, but I think uh, starting this weekend, we're going to be getting together with some people and have some cool stuff to hopefully share on at Andre Wine. We've also been working 16-hour days at my day job, which is the other reason why we've been a little bit lax in updating the podcast, but I seem to be on the on the back end of that. So, yes back to that well as we get into summer hopefully we can get outside we can get some uh, some guests into uh, into the studios and uh and talk uh talk to them uh i know i just spoke to uh, uh heidi fielding and i said boy we'd love to get uh, richie back on the podcast and uh she was like i'm sure he would love to be on it uh so you know um and and i and i know we've talked about other people uh, getting getting uh, them on the podcast as well so um we just have to get our uh, stuff together <laughs> well okay well speaking speaking of that you actually had a pretty good idea for or at least what we think is a pretty good idea for the podcast because we've been doing the podcast now for like five five some years and you and i have known each other now for 12 years are you I'm just still do- sitting here are you just doing the math thank goodness i was sitting yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a long time and um you wanted to talk about our origin story yeah, I, I always people always ask me how how did you meet Andre, <laughs> and uh, and it's and it is kind of a funny story, um, how we end up you know crossing paths. It, it so, is. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you start if you want. Uh, it kind of starts with you having this brilliant idea. Uh, well, it wasn't really a brilliant idea. It was deer in the headlights. I'm sure I've told you this 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 story, Michael. Like, I didn't really set out to be a a wine writer, right? Um, I got my job at Newstalk. I, I don't know if anybody does, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I got my job at, at Newstalk 1010 in 2008. Like that was I'm when I. Sure, st- Tony Aspler didn't. You know, wasn't a kid going. I think I'll be a wine writer. Anyway, I know, I know. Like it's it's so strange. And so I okay, let me go back to the to the very the very beginning. because uh, this is something I think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably don't know, is I have not taken any formal wine education. Um I have a hard time learning from a textbook and uh, I learned by learn by doing, which is one of the main reasons I started the ADX wine company, but that's even further down the road of my career. So um Got my job at Newstalk 1010 in about 2008. Moved to Ontario in 2007. And I'm looking at the photo right now. I lived in Ontario in 1988 and 89. And in 1989, one of the last things my parents did was take me and my brother, who were seven and five years old at the time, to Niagara. And I have a picture of myself with my mother outside the Hillebrand Estates Winery sign on Mm. what's Niagara Stone Road. It looks like it's paved. (laughs) But it looks a hell of a lot different then than it does now. There's a lot of trees no, it, that are it probably was paved, but but uh, by probably uh, you know uh, water and tar. 
Yeah, something like that. And then, um, so when I moved to Ontario, like my dad's always been a huge advocate for Ontario wine. And even out west, like he constantly complains in Saskatchewan about the lack of selection and variety of, of local wines. And actually, it's at the point where my dad will sit at the dining table and say, oh, they don't know how to make good wine in BC. It's kind of like the exact opposite of what most people in on Ontario say. And, and, and like to this day, Michael, I know you and I both still hear it from time to time where people will say, oh, they can't make good red wine in Ontario. And it's just like, no, they make really great wine in Ontario. It's just they don't make baller Cabernet Sauvignon like you find in the Okanagan. Um, but yeah, so when I moved to Ontario in 2008, I just got my hands on every bottle of Ontario wine that I could and just wanted to learn and wanted to drink and uh at my radio job i was looking for other opportunities to advance my career uh so when i heard in 2010 that it was a fantastic year and a good harvest and i still have the audio clips of craig mcdonald paul speck and shiraz madia who were the three winemakers i interviewed for the first time uh in the fall of 2010 after harvest i have Craig saying it was the best vintage he'd ever seen in his life and put together some news stories for um, New Stock 1010 that never made it to air because in 2010 we had a civic, a uh, provincial, and a federal election all in that stretch. So my story kept getting bumped. And uh, the Weekend Morning host, Ben Mercer, said, well, why don't you do a weekly segment about wine? And I said to him, I'm like, Ben, I don't know anything about wine. I just like to drink wine. And he looked at me point blank and said, well, the listeners don't know that. Yeah. And then uh, January 2010, I started a weekly segment on the radio that at the very beginning, I called the Ontario Wine Review. Yeah, so uh, just just a little bit of, of, of my origin, I, I wanted to get into wine writing at some point, um, just because a friend of mine who had called me up, uh, I, I was in radio, obviously, as Andre was, but I was an on-air personality, and uh, I had a morning show uh, on, on Port Hardy, British Columbia at one point, and um, I, loved, I loved being on radio, but... Um, uh, I didn't like the moving around and everything like that, so I uh, came back to Ontario myself and um, um, started a company where we did uh, voiceover work, and um, uh, voiceover work is not, uh, is not great. It's fun, but it's not, it's not lucrative to most. How about that? Do you have like a favorite script that you remember? Like, like what would someone have heard your voice on doing the voiceover for? Oh, I mostly did on hold messaging and stuff. So if you had called up, let's say, like Home Service Club in Toronto, that was my voice. And um, okay, give me yeah. an example. What 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 would someone have heard? And I'll uh, I'm gonna mark this so I can put the sound effects. That so sounds like it's on the phone. So uh, in, oh. when I say when I say go, read me part of the script and do your best delivery. Three, oh, two, uh, one. Uh, go. Let me think of something. Okay, I'll try it. I'll try one here now. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was how. That's what I would do uh, for them, and um, yeah. So, so that's what I, I did. And then I think two years into that, uh, I wanted to get into a, to wine or to, into into wine in some way because I started collecting and reading, you know, David Lorison and Tony Aspler and all that kind of thing. And uh, I started my own wine collection, which is why we have bottles from, you know, from God knows where at nine dollars a piece. And um, yeah, I, I didn't. I had the same basic – I had a friend who I was talking to on the phone, and she goes, well, if that's what you want to do, then just go do it. I said, I have no formal training. She goes, nobody knows that. 
<laughs> but I mean, it's the one thing about working working in radio, and um, so like I, I have a my music degree, my my university degrees in in music, and a big part of my degree was research, and it's the same thing about working in radio and in a newsroom and when you're accountable to what comes out of the microphone because if you say you, you can't talk nonsense out of a microphone i know you know dumb dumb donald trump can sit and scream fake news all he wants but if you say something that is completely factually incorrect you get your ass sued like that's how things work when you have a microphone and a platform you need to be accountable to that in, and in, that's in a, theory although i i believe in this era it, you can say almost anything yeah okay yeah. fair 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 point and and separate debate not connected to this, not connected to this particular podcast. Uh, but I mean, interesting, like fair conversation. Um, but uh, I mean, a big part of working in media is understanding how to research fact check. And basically like, I, I think my biggest fear, especially for that first, that first year on the air was that I was going to say something so nonsensical that someone would call the radio station and I would be what? just like yanked off the air. Cause it was a great opportunity. Like it was a great opportunity to, even if, my career had not gone down the wine path to have an opportunity to be behind a microphone in a major market and have three to four minutes once a week just to hone those skills and, and get the confidence to open up a microphone on any topic now. So so I, I did take a Wesset course. I took the advanced and I took the intermediate and I got them both. And um, that was my formal training oh, right on. Just, to, just to get a little background. And just to, just to finish our origin story, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, getting a phone call from uh, from a friend, uh, Rosie at uh, Cattail, and she said to me, um, "Did you hire somebody?" And I said, "For what?" She goes, "For Ontario Wine Review." And I said, "No, it's still just me." She goes, "Well, then you got a problem." <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I said, "What's what's this problem?" She goes, "There's some guy claiming to be you." I go, I don't think he's claiming to be me. She goes, well, and she sent me your email to her about, you know, wanting to have her, her wine on the Ontario wine review. And, uh, so actually I ended up calling you up and I said, uh, you can't use that name. And you said, uh, why not? I said, cause it's mine. And you went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was also at the beginning of me figuring out, uh, like, like that was where like the, the weekly segment became the wine review with Andre Pru, which, arguably was a better name than calling it just the Ontario Wine Review because I had my name attached to it. Like in terms of, of branding and everything, it helped me build build my own brand from the onset. But yes, I... And I'll, and I'll tell you, Andre, the, the, the probably one of the biggest mistakes I didn't make was calling my original website Ontario Wine Review. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that was a mistake, though. Um, like, I mean, I know when, well, when did you do... It's th- amazing how many people just thought I did Ontario Wine. Uh, but I mean, at the time, I and branch out and do all kinds of wine from all over the world. I, I know that uh, you've done the done the branch out, and you always have reviewed wines from from elsewhere. But I think most people, by and large, consider you one of the authorities on Ontario wine. Yeah, I, well, I, that's where I got my that's where I cut my teeth originally, right? I, that's all I wanted to do. Uh, was, well, I figured we were here in Ontario. We should at least start that way. And, um, and that's where, where I, you know, for the, probably for the first two or three years, because I wasn't invited to the LCBO and, you know, but I would try to get, uh, as much international experience as, as I possibly could. And then I think the, the big break was, you know, when, when vintages calls you up and says, you want to come in to taste. Yes. And, and you go, hell Yeah. 
Oh man, oh, I think I that was that was that was a a godsend. I can't remember when I was invited in, but I know also at the origin, like not having any formal training, um, you, Gord Stimmel, and Dean Tudor were the people that I was tasting with at the LCBO, and the three of you were extremely welcoming and never made me feel stupid because i guarantee you those at least that first year that i was tasting with you guys i must have asked some really stupid questions uh probably but i blocked them out andre if it makes you feel any better i blocked them out <laughs> uh but i mean it, it, it didn't take long though like to have a chance to and and because i had to rush to my day job i would get a chance to taste maybe 40 or 50 wines out of a couple hundred in the release uh you dean and gord would often pull stuff out to be like andre you got to taste this andre you have to t- try this and then i would ask the follow-up questions because sometimes you guys would pull wines out that were deliberately bad and you were yes. telling me to taste them so I knew what the bad wine tasted like. So, you know, yep. thank you for that. Um, but I mean, people, you people don't understand that. They always think you should just drink good wine. I, I think you have to drink bad wine to know what bad wine tastes like. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is it's it's still fascinating to me when I think about the, the vintages releases is, I, I mean, this goes back to the very beginning of this particular podcast where we talk about the baseline and the Rosé Report is, by and large, the majority of wines that go through the vintages releases are supremely drinkable but most of them are not memorable and when you and i were and and everyone goes to those vintages tastings we were looking for the the gems that jumped out and it's not right. you're looking you're looking for those memorable wines yes and you know some of them were terrible but you have to remember you're comparing them to 120 wines so you know maybe if you just got that one bottle on your table it'd be pretty good but when you're judging it next to some really good wines or really great wines, it comes across pretty terrible. Totally, totally. And but I mean, it's the other thing too, though. Is it's always fun when you get a chance. Like there, there are there are a handful of wines that I remember having vivid, vivid moments tasting them, where it's just like you you can immediately identify that this is something special. Um, I can't remember the vintage on it, but the first time I tasted the Saint Urban Vineyard Riesling from vineland and that was part of my journey as a self-taught wine person is like my parents who were into wine when i go back to the origin story had had it drilled in me sweet bad dry good and tasting that wine and tasting the balance on it's just like okay well if sweet's bad then i guess i like bad wines i remember thinking that exact quote when i tasted that wine well my actually the funny the funny part about um uh, where I started, and this is even before I, I started writing about wine, is uh, one of my favorite wineries and then one of my favorite wines to drink as a as a category were fruit wine. Mm-hmm. And I think fruit wine are fantastic, especially for honing your palate. Because when you pick up a bottle of apple wine or pear wine or plum wine or cherry wine, they taste like what they're supposed to. And if it doesn't taste like cherry, then guess what? It's not a good wine. If it doesn't taste like plum, if it doesn't taste like, you know, cassis, then it's not good. And that's a way to also train your palate because, uh, you know, everybody says, where are you getting these, these notes and flavors from blah, blah, blah. And it's all just, you know, our, our, our memory of, of, and our, and our shared experience of knowing what a strawberry tastes like and what mm-hmm. a cherry tastes like. And I think fruit wine is like the baseline that everybody should should have to sit in in one or two fruit wineries. I used to love Sunnybrook here in Niagara or, or, or the ones near Toronto. There were tons of them. Uh, you, could, you could sit there and, and taste through 
you know, 12, 14 wines of different fruits. And, and you know, it was a great way to train your palate. So anybody out there who's, who's listening and, and wondering how, you know, to train your palate, go to a fruit winery. There, there are tons of them out there. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's something that I, I know we've kind of talked about every time I go out west. I, I keep trying to find a way to get in touch with them. But Living Sky Winery in Saskatchewan are doing some really, really interesting things with... Um, um, with rhubarb, they make a rhubarb wine that tastes an awful lot like Riesling. Yep. Um, but I mean, when push comes to shove, like they're, they're just delicious wines. Like when I get a chance to order a glass of wine from living sky, I know that I'm getting a great product. Once again, this goes back to the original, are, are any of these wines from living sky ever going to be a hundred point wines? Well, maybe in the hands of the writer of the Toronto star, but I think in most normal wine writers hands, you're looking at, you know, four star wine, three and a half plus wines, but are, are priced reasonably and delicious. But yeah, I guess going back to going back to our origin story, there even though I had accidentally stolen your name, there was no animosity, which I thought was unusual now that I know you as well cuz you're a bit of a grump. <laughs> well, put it this way, if I had to have uh, fought you for it, then uh, you probably would have won if the radio station stood behind you, I think. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. Just the way things work. You you had it first. There was documentation that you had it first. I wouldn't have won. We would have. I would have had to buy it, buy it from you. But I mean, I honestly, like I said, I was deer in the headlights when they threw me on the segment. It's like, like Andre, what do we call the segment? And it was just like, because uh, I only wanted to review Ontario wine because it's what I knew, and it took a long time for me to branch out. Now I know quite a bit about French wine. Obviously, focus on regions that grow varieties that I'm working with now. Um, had opportunities to travel to Chile, Portugal, France, Accorda and now to Abruzzo where I love having the chance to learn and, and kind of digest these regions by doing as opposed to reading. So, well, as I, as you, you said, I'm off to Italy next week or when this, this goes on, I'll be in, uh, in Umbria, which is uh, Sagrantino, which is that, you know, we've had Sagrantino. Holy God, that stuff is uh, mouth ripping reds. Uh, but I'm also going to do Orvieto and, uh, Tresemina, I think, is what it's called. But uh, and and I, what I didn't know is it's it's like Gamay headquarters in in Italy. So I'm looking forward to that being a Gamay fan. Do they make a no? I guess they call it Novello. I'll, I'm going to find out. All right. So I guess on this note, is this is this what you hoped that we would be talking about? Yeah, it was kind of. Uh, it's just it's just a funny story about how we. Um, how we how we get together how we get together as a as a podcast i guess is uh for years when i first started i i really wanted to do a uh uh he said she said segment and there was this uh this girl named karen levine who i don't even know if she's in the wine industry anymore uh but she was a sommelier and her and i used to walk down the streets to tastings and argue back and forth uh about um you know uh, tastings and wines and things like that and i thought this would be a great you know podcast being in radio this would be a great show and uh, i could never get somebody on uh who wanted to badmouth anything and um you know not not that we would always bad mouth but you you've got to be critical you're you're a critic uh, it takes it takes a long to, it takes you've a long be able to say something negative it takes a long time uh, to build to build the to build the confidence to do that because i mean it's the other thing too is and even if i were to get another radio segment today i still don't know if i would want to take time to bad mouth it like having three or four minutes it was i was recommending new releases at the at the lcbo like we said there's a couple hundred wines that come out every couple weeks um 
you know, it, it's a waste of airtime in that format, in that particular format. It was a waste of time to, to tell people. And I to, understand that. But what I'm saying is, if, and and we do it sometimes here. You know, we did the thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes. Um, I actually really liked that that format. And frankly, that was something that was um, sort of killed by COVID and, and killed by the LC. And, and I don't think the LCBO is, has any intention of ever inviting journalists back to do uh, do any sort of tasting. And that's unfortunate because you know, they really are missing, you know, the, the you know, CanCon that uh, that they should have. Yeah, especially and in their magazine. I mean, but, it's it's frustrating. It's it's frustrating that uh, by not allowing journalists to access their access some of these products, you know, you're you're supporting international journalists. Like, I, I don't know what like what the what their end game is. That's a whole separate podcast for another time. It is. It is. But what I'm saying in, in, in a long format, such as what we're here, um, we can say good things and bad things. Uh, we can take opposing sides on wines, on uh, on topics, uh, and get the other point of view. And that's, that's I think, um, where what makes us as well is, is that there is a generation gap uh, between us. Yes. Uh, and that's, it's not a he said, she said. It's a young guy said versus old curmudgeonly guy said. Oh, I'm not even a young guy anymore. <laughs> Jesus, the, the the people I work with at uh, at Reach Digital, most of the staff were born the years I was finishing high school. Oh, Andre, I've asked you who certain bands are and you have no idea who they are. Yeah, but so. you just have weird taste in music. Oh, whatever. All right, all right. I think I so I know we kind of rambled on. I don't know if anyone got anything out of this podcast. I think the takeaway are Andre has no formal training in wine, but I'm trying really hard to compensate for it by learning everything I can. And you know, I, I'm and you're and you're and you're and you're a researcher. That's that's basically what it is. Yes. And um, uh, and what you take away from me is I'm a professional alcoholic. We already knew that. Oh well, then you got nothing from this podcast. Um, so yeah, we already did all the shout outs through the, through the podcast. So we, I guess we don't need to do the, the big signups on rewindreview.ca once again has not been updated, but hopefully will soon. So I apologize to anyone looking for content on that. Uh, Michael Pincus of Michael Pincus uh, I used to update it every day. I'm a little bit lax, uh, as we get into, uh, the summer months. And of course, because of the Rosé report, uh, things just slowly, st- uh, you know, after that comes out in July, it'll, uh, it'll ramp back up. You but, still looking uh, for sponsors? I am. So if you want to sponsor the Rosé Report, reach out to, to Michael. You can do it at The Grape Guy on Instagram or Michael at MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm seriously thinking of taking out like a quarter page personally just to put a gag ad in it. But I haven't thought of something funny enough yet. All right. Well. And you anyone know, else? And, as you know, it's it's not it's not expensive. It really is not uh, not expensive comparatively, uh, and compared to how much uh, how much the readership is of that report. Yeah, we're giving we're giving we're giving the hard sell, but I do I do agree with you. Like anyone who wants it, it, it is extremely time consuming. Um, yes, Michael puts a lot of work into it, so definitely support the Rose Report. And I guess um, you know what we're recording this in the middle of the afternoon, so I usually say good night, but. Andre, good afternoon. No, doesn't work. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.